Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And this is the description of Jacob's life who has not made the Lord his God struggle. So Jacob's life without the Lord as his God is just one massive struggle. Jacob struggles for his birthright. Jacob struggles for his wife. Jacob will struggle for his herds. Jacob will struggle for security in his life. He's not gonna be killed. Jacob's struggling in his old age. And at the end, we even see him struggling for where he's gonna be buried. And this all happens when a person decides to walk by sight and not by faith. Life becomes one massive struggle. And we see Jacob struggling as a fugitive. He's running from his home. He's a fugitive. He's struggling to try to return home. And we're just starting to see Jacob in his seven-year struggle for Rachel, and that's really gonna turn out to be a 14-year struggle for Rachel. And we'll see uh, Jacob now struggle for 20 years throughout this time with Laban, he's trying to get back home. And even, like you said, in the end of his life, in the evening of his life, he's gonna be struggling again. At the end, he wants to see, he's hoping to see Joseph after death, he talks about it in Sheol. And when Jacob is dying, he's struggling, I don't want a grave here in Egypt, I want a grave in Egypt, in in, uh, Canaan. Now, even though he's going down this road of one massive struggle because he didn't make the Lord his God, what we see is an amazing thing here, and that is God faithfully working with him, especially as he reaches three monumental times in his life. Bethel, God intervening in Genesis 28. Peniel, God intervening in Genesis 32. And finally, the last day of his life on his deathbed, God intervening in giving him knowledge in Genesis 49. Now, in verse 16, we are told about Laban's two daughters, where it says to us, and Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Oh, there are two daughters. Okay, he didn't know that when Rachel came there, but he's got two daughters. The name of the elder is Leah. The Hebrew Leah means worn out or wearied. (laughs) And how much do I get for this worn out wife? (laughs) Worn out. And the name of the younger was Rachel, which means you or female sheep. The word for Leah has within it this Hebrew part where it means, it describes Leah as simply weak or dull. And um, it describes her as tender-eyed. Tender-eyed is what it says. In the Arabic language, at least, this term means a woman with moist or blurry eyes. Blurry eyes. So what this means is that Leah's eyes 
were not exactly in keeping with the oriental idea of beauty. Right? See, poor Leah, she just had moisture in her eyes. You know? But the oriental idea of beauty were black eyes. It's not the idea of my sons. My son says about black eyes, oh, black, 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 I can't stand black. So who does Joseph have for a girlfriend? <laughs> Normal, that's Hispanic with black eyes. Anyway, but black eyes is the idea of the oriental idea of beauty, full of life, full of fire. Fire can cause problems, but that's what they have. Clear, expressive, dark eyes. That's considered the principal part of female beauty. And Leah didn't have those type of eyes. And that made Leah the ugly duckling, unfortunately. By the way, who was the mother of Judah? Leah. Leah was the mother of Judah. Leah as the mother of Judah. Leah was the mother of the Davidic messianic line. Leah, she didn't carry the prize for beauty like Sarah and Rebecca did. She had these moist, blurry eyes. Now, notice in verse 17 the word but in contrast to the ugly duckling. But in verse 17 tells us that in contrast, Rachel was beautiful, which implies she had beautiful eyes. And also, as we mentioned before, the two Hebrew words emphasize her shape or her figure. So she had a good figure. And now in verse 18, we see the heart of Jacob. The heart of Jacob is expressed in verse 18. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I'll serve these seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. See, those three words put it very simply. Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. Therefore, Jacob said he didn't want any wages. He wanted Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. Therefore, Jacob would not serve for any indefinite number of days, but for seven years. See, Jacob's words in in verse 18, I'll serve these seven years for Rachel, it brings out how Jacob had nothing to offer Laban for his daughter except his labor. So he said, what do your wages be? He didn't say anything about labor. He said, what do your wages be? And then Jacob says, well, I don't have anything except I'll work for you. It emphasizes that even though Isaac was a rich man, Jacob had to flee so fast he brought nothing with him. I mean, a man does not serve for a wife unless he has absolutely nothing. Nowhere in the Bible. Do you see a man serving for a wife? Nowhere. Nowhere in the Bible do you see a man working for a wife. This shows how absolutely rock bottom Jacob was. A man does not serve for a wife unless he's destitute. Jacob's words in verse 18, I will serve these seven years for Rachel, it shows us that Jacob had nothing to purchase Rachel with. And that's a pitiful picture of having nothing. See, these words are very important in verse 18. I will serve these seven years for Rachel. They're coming from the man from whom all the Jewish people came. God wants all the Jewish people to have Jacob's words in verse 18 embedded in their hearts and their minds of I will serve thee seven years for Rachel. Those are very important words. How do I know? that God wants all the Jewish people to have the words of Jacob in verse 18, I will serve these seven years for Rachel, embedded in their minds. How can I say that? Because that's what God told the Jewish people in Hosea 12.12. In Hosea 12.12, 12, 
God told the Jewish people, Jacob fled into the country of Syria. Israel served for a wife, and he kept sheep. For a wife, he kept sheep. That's like, no, that never happens in the Bible. You never see that. But here, Hosea 12, 12, God reminds the Jewish people of Jacob's words in verse 18, I will serve these seven years for Rachel. And God says, Israel served for a wife in Hosea 12, 12. That shows us no matter how great a person may become, he may become an Einstein of physics or a Bernstein of Bernstein of music or a Koufax of baseball <laughs> or a Moses of leaders. <laughs> he always should remember the words of verse 18 when Jacob said, I'll serve these seven years for Rachel. And that applies to all of us today. No matter how high God may make us, God wants us to look at Jacob in his poor state and remember the words of verse 18, I will serve these seven years for Rachel. Hosea 12, 12, Israel served for a wife. See, when Jacob said the words of verse 18, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, Jacob was at his lowest state in life. He couldn't go any lower. It can only get higher from here. And God never wanted Jacob to forget that. Never forget that. And God never wants us to forget the pit from which God lifted us out of. As King David said when he was at the highest point in his life and he was dedicating his house to God in Psalm 30, verse 1, he said, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up. And King David said in Psalm 40, verse 2, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock, established my goings. See, the natural tendency of these words, when we see these words of Jacob in verse 18, I will serve these seven years for Rachel, we're to run away, with natural tendency, we're to run away for that, forget about that. Well, that was a bad time. I don't want to remember that. And God says, oh, no. You sit down and you never forget the poor state expressed, I will serve these seven years for Rachel. Israel served for a wife. It reminds me of the early years of Scannabodies when our family moved to Lakeside on the side of Al Capitan Mountain, 300 goats in the wide expanse of less than an acre <laughs> all around our house with such wonderful facilities as baby goats in our living room, trying to keep them alive. Goats drowning in torrential rains from the pools of manure and water that formed in their pens. 20-foot-high haystacks falling over and fermenting in the rains, steam rising off. Rattlesnakes in our house behind the refrigerator. Manure running into, off the mountain into our house and goats out because of broken fences and broken pipes and not enough toilets for the 45 employees working 24 hours a day. Apart from that, it was a resort. <laughs> we had such terrible ruts in our driveway that while I was driving our Oldsmobile up the driveway one day, trying to straddle between the ruts, and I didn't make it, and the family got out at the bottom of the hill. They said, we're not going to ride in that car with you. I said, I, I can make it. <laughs> I drive up, it gave way. The car was buried in the driveway. You could have covered it with dirt and you wouldn't have known it was there. Daniel's father, Bud, felt so sorry for us that he got some asphalt off of some construction job that didn't need it, brought it over and paved our driveway. Those were horrible days. And they were such hard days. And oh, God gave me the most loyal, dedicated wife to stick it out with me. And some of you here today, you remember those. Gene, you remember. I hope you remember. Yeah, Irene, do you remember? <laughs> Some of you remember those years. And God gave me a perfect church here in the chapel, a place to come to Sunday, 
Wednesday to learn about God, to sing to God, to pray to God. And now it's so much better. And those days, we've come out of that time. And now I've gone back and I've looked for pictures of the lakeside days to put together a history of the company. I can't find any pictures of the lakeside day because there aren't any pictures of the lakeside day because I didn't want to take any pictures during that time because it was horrible. I didn't want to remember it. Why aren't there any pictures? (laughs) It was so horrible. It wasn't entertaining. (laughs) It it was a time that was so horrible. All I could think of is got to get better because it can't get worse. And I don't want any pictures to remember. So there are no pictures. And I'm sure Jacob would not be taking any pictures of himself saying to Laban, I'll serve these seven years for Rachel. Because it was so horrible for Jacob that he didn't want any pictures of that time in his life. But God wanted a picture of Jacob in his lowest state. And therefore, God said, snap that picture and put it in that verse of Jacob saying, I will serve these seven years for Rachel. And God wants us to look at Jacob in his state and by the way, right now, the best we can do is my boys and I, we get together and we try to remember all these things. We got to write them down, I guess. I don't know. I don't know I was going to read it. But anyway, everybody said we could make more money on a book than a business. <laughs> but God wants us to look at Jacob in this state of I will serve these seven years for Rachel and remember those words when we see the descendant of Jacob, King Solomon, who will become the most powerful, richest man on the earth. And I mean, recently I sat down with a Jewish man, a lost old Jewish man, and he starts to talk to me, and he looks at me, and he says, we have suffered a lot in our history, he says. <laughs> Jewish people have suffered a lot. They've become an expert in suffering. <laughs> they should get an award for suffering, you know. <laughs> we look at verses 16, 17, and 18 together, and we see in verses 16 and 17 the explanation that Jacob had two daughters. Jacob had two daughters. The name of the one elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed. Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And we can just see Jacob at this time looking over the litter of Laban's daughters <laughs> and seeing one daughter, moist, blurry eyes. She wasn't beautiful. That was Leah. And then we see Jacob fixated on the other daughter, and saying, oh, beautiful, shapely figure, that's Rachel. And in verse 18, Jacob wants to make his choice. He's making his choice. And we can see Jacob pointing to Rachel in verse 18. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I'll serve these seven years for Rachel, it says. And from those very important words, at the end of verse 18, we can see Jacob saying to Laban, I want to make it very clear which of the two in the litter I'm serving you for. And he says in verse 18, I'll serve these seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter, he has to add, you know. Don't make a mistake. That's the one I want. He's making a deal with Laban, and Jacob wants it to be crystal clear. He's making the deal for Rachel, your younger daughter, you know, because if Jacob did not say at the end of verse 18 that the deal was for Rachel, your younger daughter, then we can be sure that Laban, he wouldn't have had to make the switch in the dark. But if Jacob had not said at the end of verse 18, Rachel, thy younger daughter, then Laban would have said at the end of seven years that, oh, I thought you made the deal for Leah. (laughs) But he couldn't go there because of the last words of verse 18. So Jacob was so against Leah and so for Rachel that Jacob emphasizes in verse 18, the deal is for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Let's get it straight. And now we see Laban's response In verse 19, Laban said, oh, it's better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. That's a custom even today among the Bedouin Arabs that a man marries his next cousin. 
And a cousin is preferred even over a rich stranger. And it used to be that a cousin would not be allowed to marry another man unless she got the consent of her cousin. And then Laban says to Jacob at the end, abide with me. Again, yashab, sit down with me, sit with me, be with me. And now we come to one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. This shows how all those years of service seemed like just a few days because of the love that Jacob had for Rachel. During those seven years of labor, we can see Jacob just with his eyes on Rachel. And at the beginning of each day of hard work and throughout each day of hard work and at the end of each day of hard work, we see he's just thinking. He's not thinking about the hard work. He's thinking about Rachel. And because Jacob is thinking only about Rachel, the work doesn't seem so hard at all. It's just like a few days for the love he had to her. So it says, what a statement. And they seem to him but a few days for the love he had to her. Verse 20 is so important. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Because verse 20 is an explanation of what a phrase means in 1 Thessalonians and Hebrews when it says, like for example in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, remembering without ceasing your work of love and labor, work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. See, verse 20 explains what's meant by this phrase, labor of love. Labor, what is labor of love? Labor of love is Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. A labor of love is working without being fixated on the work and how hard it is and how long it is, but it's to be fixated on the one that's loved. See, what's meant went by a, a labor of love is to keep fixated on the Lord Jesus Christ as the center of love and to work for him. It's to start each day by before getting out of bed while still in bed and saying a prayer, spreading out and saying a prayer of, like this, I'm, oh God, I'm the sacrifice. This bed's the altar. I give myself to you as a sacrifice. It's my joy, my privilege, my honor to serve you today. I love you. And then at the end of the day, getting in bed, laying there like a sacrifice, praying a similar prayer. Lord, I hope you were happy today. Because if you were happy, I'm happy. It was, a, it was a privilege to serve you today. I can't wait to till tomorrow. Serve you again. I love you. Hmm? <laughs> Jacob's labor of love was such a fixation on Rachel that he loved that the work that he did, it seemed to him but a few days for the love he had to her. See, this verse is so vitally important, verse 20, because it's a picture of how we should work for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are Jacob. The Lord Jesus Christ is Rachel. The work should seem to us but a few days for the love we have for him. It's exactly what one of the summer blitzers in Cleveland, which is a very hostile city for summer blitzers. Cleveland is the city where Heidi was asked what she was doing while she was bringing the gospel to the Jewish people in Cleveland. And just because she honestly and directly told the man what she was doing, the man reached into his glove compartment and pulled a gun out and threatened her with a gun. Just from answering the question of what she was doing, the man pulls a gun on her. It's dangerous to answer that question of what the summer blitzers are doing in Cleveland. And at that moment, Heidi thought that her young life was over. And I, I worried, I, I worried since the start of the summer blitz that something like this was gonna happen. It was gonna be the end of the summer blitzes. 
And as that report of how the gun was pulled on Heidi, I wondered if Heidi's parents wouldn't say, that's enough. You come home, it's too dangerous. But they didn't. And as the word of the gun pulled spread throughout the the Cleveland Summer Blitz team, I worried maybe the team would give up and say it's not worth it. I wondered how the Cleveland team would justify working under such dangerous conditions. And this week, I got my answer from one of Heidi's Summer Blitz teammates in Cleveland. As she wrote, and I'm quoting, today, Hallie talked to a Jewish man who asked her why she was going door to door. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) That's the question that Heidi was asked. I'll read again. Today, Hallie talked to a Jewish man who asked her why she was going door to door talking to people that reject what we're sharing. And her her response kind of stuck with me. She told him we're doing it because we love Jesus. It was convicting. Yes, that's the reason. But it's easy to get distracted with numbers and things that aren't really that important. It was a little reminder of why we're doing what we're doing. That was my answer as to how the summer blitzers in Cleveland could continue and work in such a dangerous city where a gun is pulled for just answering the question, what are you doing? Hallie gave the answer to the Jewish man in Cleveland who asked what she was doing when she said, we're doing it because we love Jesus, period. No other explanation than that. Verse 20, if you ask Jacob, why are you working those seven years? Jacob would tell you, I'm doing it because I love Rachel, period. No other explanation. And in the verse 20 of our lives, when we're asked, why do you bring the gospel to the lost? We say the words of Hallie, we're doing it because we love Jesus, period. No other explanation. Why are the summer blitzers bringing the gospel to the lost Jewish people, as Hallie put it? Because we're doing it because we love Jesus. Why do we bring the gospel to people who want to hear it? As Hallie said, we're doing it because we love Jesus, Laboring like that, we do it because we love Jesus, means the second part of verse 20 will be true for us. They seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. After 12 long weeks, hard weeks, knocking on over 700,000 doors, Jewish doors throughout the country in emergency levels of heat and humidity with guns being pulled, cars being vandalized, SUVs trying to run them down, countless doors slammed in their face. It's amazing to me to see the anxiety reports in the summer blitzers who are not anxious. They're anxious that the campaign's gonna be over, but the reason is because their prospects are not saved yet. You know, the summer blitzers, they're seeing the Jewish people, their prospects, as saying the words of Jeremiah 8.20, which is, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. That's the way they see their prospects. They see them as saying that, and they're saying, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and they're not saved. They don't want the campaign to end because they don't want the harvest to be passed. They don't want the summer to end because the Jews are going to say, we're not saved. How is such a spirit possible? Verse 20, it seemed to him but a few days for the love he had to her. If we know that love for Jesus that Hallie wrote about, then the sufferings of this present time will be as nothing compared to the privilege of serving him. A lifetime of work for the Lord Jesus will seem as a few days for the love that we have to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truths that you have written down for us here. All these pictures, Lord. As we study this, it's like opening a picture album, going from picture to picture. And thank you, Lord, for teaching us, Lord, that to, to trust you, to make you our God, and to not have a life of struggles. 
And Lord, thank you for teaching us to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor, that's T O M C A N T O R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.